And today we're going to be tackling a big question. And this is a question that uh, most people won't ever give you a clear answer on. Most people go around this subject. Um, there's a man of God that I, that I followed for years, and he talks about this subject, and he says, he says uh, people always want to ask me what I believe about once saved, always saved. And I just look at him and I say, why would you want out? You know, why are you asking that question? Why, do, why would you want out? And then he goes on to say, I've studied it. I've looked it up. I know the answer to it. You've got a Bible. Go study it yourself. So even him, you know, there's such a worry that there's going to be, a, you know, a loss of people that listen to your folly. Or, you know, churches are split over the subject. So if half of you are gone tomorrow... Well, I love you, but so long. <laughs> you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't worry about stuff like that. And I, I love you more than I love having people show up at church. So I'm going to teach what God has showed me through the scriptures and what has been successful in my life, what has brought intimacy, which, what has um, broken sins and and habits off my life. And that's the security of knowing Jesus Christ. Security of knowing Jesus. I mean, it's pretty, pretty simple. Is, is first question you have to ask is, who is the God of your salvation? If, if Jesus is the God of your salvation, that means that you're not the God of your salvation. Right? So we trust in Jesus for our salvation... Not us. Okay, now I, I got to get you thinking. I don't know why anyone would scorn the believer's security. It's hard for me to understand why someone would want someone to feel insecure in God. You know, it's almost like scorning or mocking marriage. Because we are the bride of Christ, right? And the Bible says that God hates divorce. And, and marriage is a sacrament of Christ and what? The church, us. God's not looking to divorce any of you guys. Read Hosea, the prophet. God told him to go marry someone as a representation of Israel and himself. And she was a harlot, a prostitute, and she... Cheated on him over and over and over and over again, and God never, God never allowed Hosea to forsake her. We may forsake God, but he never, he never forsakes us. Our security in Christ is a big deal. It's something to be treasured rather than scorned. In Romans 8, 28, 29, Paul writing, he says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing 
And that includes you. I am personally so thankful that I have come to know the security that I have in the Father's love for me. He holds me, he keeps me, and he will never let me go. Even when we let go of him, he never lets us go. And, and, and God's so good. He, this week I, I had a dream, and I don't have very many dreams, but this was a pretty vivid dream. It was, it was kind of like a, a painting of Jesus, and God was actually correcting me in it, and so I'm just being open and honest with you guys. It was a painting of Jesus on the cross, and, and it was from his, like his collarbone to about right here. And <clears throat> it was a picture of me coming into Christ, almost not fetal position, but balled up. And his hands broke free from the cr- cross, and they embraced me. And he told me in this dream, he said, stop telling the people to embrace Jesus. Reveal to them that I, that Jesus, that I have embraced them. And that's a saying that I've said quite a bit, to embrace Jesus. I mean, there is, there is a, a acknowledgement. There's an action that happens when, you get, when, you, when Jesus is revealed and how much he loves you. There is an action, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But you need to know that God has embraced you. It's not about us embracing him. And the cross is the proclamation of that embrace. And he was ripped. Jesus was ripped. I don't know. And the only thing I can think of is that was a symbolism for the strength of his embrace. So I'm so thankful that I have a revelation of God's love for me and my security that I have in Christ Jesus. But unfortunately, many of God's children are not at peace when it comes to their security in God. Religion has told us that we have to abide, continue, hold fast to the end, overcome, obey, endure, and otherwise do things to stay saved. Naturally, this causes anxiety. Or worse yet, it causes self-righteousness. Well, I do this, this, or this, and that person doesn't do that. I'm better than them. And what happens if you don't do what God expects? What if you try real hard? And what happens when you get right towards the end and you stumble? What happens then? Who would want to be responsible for their salvation? Not I. Because I know what I was like before Christ. I know what I was like before. I know what I'm like when I'm not walking in the Spirit. My wife can tell you. My hope rests on Christ, nothing but Christ and His righteousness. I think that's a song we used to sing. I think. I know, I'm not going to sing it. So, but before we jump into this teaching with both feet, we're going to ask ourselves, we've got to ask ourselves a question. We've got to ask, how do we filter, filter God? Because we all have a filter. We talked about this in earlier lessons in this series. 
How do we filter God? How do we filter God? If you have a distorted view of God, everything you read will be filtered through your distortion. If you're insecure, uh, insecure, uncertain about your position in Christ, then parts of the Bible will appear to support prior notions of your insecurity. I used to be like that big time. I was always reading the Bible, looking for what I must do. What does God want me to do? And then I realized, Jesus done it all. But if we come to the Bible secure in our Father's love, then everything we read will appear to confirm our prior notions of security. So you have to choose today. Are you going to be secure in yourself, or are you going to be secure in the Father's love? So how do we decide which perspective is correct? See, I was reading earlier this week, or just a couple days ago, in, in Amos. In Amos chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. God was bringing judgment against the, the nation of Israel because they, the king set up a false priesthood. He wasn't of the, the Levites. Like God said, the order was supposed to be set up. And also, he was, they were allowing business people, because of a corrupt government, allowing business people to defraud the poor. And there was injustice and unfair balances and scales and, and all of these things. And they were putting chaff within the wheat. It's interesting. I think there's something there about God's provision because Jesus came to remove the chaff from the wheat. But anyways, God said, God said to Amos that I'm, I'm putting a, a um, plumb line against the house of Israel. I'm putting a plumb line against the house of Israel. What a plumb line is, is a string with a weight on the bottom of it. So when you're building, you can make, know if your building is straight or if it's crooked, cockeyed. And I thought, and so what God was going to do is he was going to put a plumb line against the nation of Israel to see if the nation was straight, righteous, or if it was cockeyed. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be awesome, because of all of the ideas that we have for God, wouldn't it be awesome if we had a plumb line for God? That we know if our view of God is straight or crooked. Wouldn't that make life so much easier if we had a plumb line for God? Well, we do. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the plumb line of God. Did I spit on you, Tom? Okay. <laughs> Jesus is the plumb line of God. If your view of God does not look like Jesus, your view of God is cockeyed. If your view of God doesn't look like a God that's willing to die for sinners, your view is cockeyed. So how do we know what perspective is correct? The only way to filter the written word, the only way to know which way is correct is to filter the, live, the written word through the living word. Who Jesus is and what he has done. 
Think about that. That Pharisees read over and over again the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures inside and out. They could quote it from memory. And Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you say in them you find life. And you fail to realize that they're speaking of me. See, if you're reading the Bible, and if it doesn't draw you and point you back to Jesus, you've missed the living word. All you have is the written word. Jesus is the plumb line of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you can't picture Jesus doing it, you are not allowed to see your heavenly Father doing it. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one. When we fail to filter the Bible through Jesus and Jesus alone, we allow religion to obscure the true nature of God. Our security and our security that's found in Him. These blind spots, these will cause blind spots. And you will be insecure about your salvation. Let's look at a few blind spots that this, this causes. Blind spot number one, the insecure don't see God as their father. Jesus came to reveal God our father. Father, And it is this revelation that makes the new covenant new. And this is what makes a Christian a Christian. We have received the spirit of sonship. We are God's children. We have been adopted and we will never be adopted out. Think about that. If you're insecure about your relationship with God, if you're insecure about your salvation, of your membership in the family of God, what you're saying is, is God creates orphans. God abandons his children. God is a deadbeat father. The insecure don't see God this way. At best, God is a generic father of humanity. But he's certainly not daddy. He's not our Abba. He's more like a judge or an employer who grades us on our performance. And we already talked about this. Grading us on our performance? Jesus took the test. He became flesh. He became man. And he got 100%. So unless you can get 100%, you flunk. Lacking the confidence that comes from knowing the Father's love, the insecure filter his words through an orphan's anxiety. And, and, and this, is a, this is something that happens in the real world. Those that have went through um, foster care or have been orphaned in, in, the, in the natural, that idea of abandonment, that idea of, of are you going to leave me too? They could be adopted by a family and there was still there's that still that 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 thing within their minds that am I lovable am I going to be accepted are you going to leave me too and we should not be like that in the church our heavenly father will never leave us he will never forsake us their survival instincts keep them from fully trusting god's promises they may have enough faith to be saved but not enough faith to rest They have to stay vigilant. At least they lose their salvation. Blind spot number two, the insecure don't fully appreciate the cross. 
The insecure may know Jesus died for them, but they don't know that his death ended the old system of rule-keeping. Consequently, they interpret the new covenant promises as old covenant threats. Blind spot number three. The insecure don't see salvation as a person. Think about this. The insecure don't see, Jesus, don't see salvation as a person. I already told you who he was. The insecure treat the gift of salvation as though it comes in a box. If you don't hold on to it, you can lose it. Like your car keys, you can misplace your salvation if you're not careful. But salvation is not a box, it's a person. It is Christ living in you. Christ lives in you. This is one thing that the church has not grabbed a hold of whatsoever. Christ living in you. Christ is your life. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. It's always good, a good idea to hold on to Jesus. But even if you don't, he still holds on to you. And the good news is, he will never let you go. John Chapter 10, verse 28 says, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will ever snatch them out of his hand. No one. And that includes you. We are very <clears throat> unstable. <laughs> but Jesus is steadfast. We have good days and bad days. We make promises and we break promises. Religion gets you to focus on the brittle, your brittle promises rather than the eternal promises of God and his faithfulness represented through Jesus Christ. This leads to uncertainty. Uncertainty is a faith killer. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know what the will of God is on something, you're uncertain. And if you're uncertain, you have no faith. Uncertainty is a faith killer. If you are uncertain about what God has said, how will you be able to stand on his promises? If you, if you don't sell this issue of internal security in your heart, you'll always wonder whether you have done enough to qualify. What is enough to qualify? Does anybody know how, how much do we have to do to stay saved? Or how much sin can we do before we're unsaved? They'll never tell you that. I mean, if I, don't, if I cheat on my taxes, am I unsaved? I mean, I don't know. Uncertainty regarding the... I've got to make sure I edit that cheating on the taxes out of there in case the government's listening. <laughs> uncertainty regarding the promises of God is actually unbelief. If you're uncertain, you're, you, 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 you can't have belief in him. If I could show you just one promise from the Lord that guaranteed your internal security, would you quit fretting about your, your security? Would you trust the rock of your salvation? Would one bankable promise from the, the faithful one do it for you? Well, here's one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 and 9. He also will keep you firm to the end. 
so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Boom. The scripture. This scripture is the atom bomb that obliterates our doubts of insecurity. If you struggle with doubt and uncertainty, you should frame this verse on your refrigerator. It will remind you that your salvation is not about your faithfulness, but it's about God and his faithfulness. It is the nature of the flesh to to grasp and strive and say, I will. But it is the nature of faith to rest and trust and say, he will. He will. Let's look at another passage again. This time in the Message Bible. That same, that same, that same scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 and 9. This is how the Message Bible puts it. The evidence of Christ has been clearly verified in your lives. Just think, you don't need a thing. You've got it all. And not only that, but God himself is right alongside to keep you steady and on track until the things are all wrapped up by Jesus. God, who got you started in this spiritual adventure, shares with us the life of his son and our master, Jesus. He will never give up on you and never forget that. You may give up on God, but he will never give up on you, and that's what counts. And don't forget who Paul is writing to here. He's addressing the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, folks that were unlikely to win a good Christian award. I mean, these guys were screwed up. The Corinthian church was a scandal, yet Paul looks at these substandard saints in our eyes and sees God's fingerprints all over them. See, that's what we, that's what we need to be as a people. We got to see God's fingerprints on all of humanity. We got to ask God to reveal humanity to us the way he sees them. And he speaks confidently about their future. Who called you into your, in fellowship with Christ? God did, right? Who will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on that day? The scripture just said that God will. Who is faithful? Again, God is faithful. It's not, about, it's not about you, it's about him. Here's another promise you can stand on. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The word guarantee means a down payment. God put a down payment on you. He put a down payment or a pledge given in advance as security for the rest. So either God has nothing, so God has nothing more but good stuff planned for you. Or he's a liar. Let's look at that scripture again. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. God does it all. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. 
He owns us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteed what, guaranteeing what is to come. So what is to come? Glory, Jesus, from glory to glory. He has nothing but good stuff planned for those that love him. What does God say about our future? One promise from the Lord should be enough, right, to stake our lives on. And I've given you two so far, but just to settle matters once and for all, here are seven more promises from your Heavenly Father that speak directly to your eternal security. So number one, God would have to forsake us when he said he wouldn't. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, part B, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. Promise number two, God would have to cast us out when he said he wouldn't. John chapter 6, verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Number four, God would have to forsake us when he said he would. Oh, I'm reading the top one. God would have to condemn us when he said he wouldn't. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and verses 34. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is the, verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, yes, rather, rather, who was risen, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Jesus isn't condemning us. He's actually praying for us. He's encouraging us. He's whispering in the Father's ear. Do you see that one down there? See this one over here? Number four, God would have to withdraw his spirit when he said he wouldn't. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he may be with you, how long? Forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. If you've received the spirit of truth, if you've received the Holy Spirit, you have him forever. Verse 5, God would have to remember our sins. God would have to remember our sins when he said he wouldn't. I'm sorry for being so logical in my delivery of this, but (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And which sins did Jesus die for? Just the sins that you did before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Well, you know what? I know something. You weren't even born when Jesus died for your sins. So every single one of your sins were future. He's, re- he's forgiven your past. He's forgiven your present. And he re- forgives your future. But Chad, this, this, this sounds like heresy to me. You know, why, why would people go to church? Why would people serve God? Why would people live a godly life if this was true? Because we love them. 
Because we're his children and we're part of his kingdom and this is our inheritance. We're not slaves to fear. We rest in the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. We do this because we have been convinced that this is the best way to live. We can have the prosperous life in Christ Jesus. Number six, God would have to forget that we were his children when he said, said he wouldn't. Isaiah 49, 15, can a woman forget her nursing child? I, I love how the Holy Spirit writes this stuff. It's like, you know, a mom cannot forget her child. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on her son of her womb? But he says, even these may forget, but I will never forget you. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He won't take his spirit away from us. And he will never, ever forget us. Number seven, God would have to blot our names out of the book of life when he said he wouldn't. Revelations chapter 3, verse 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. We're going to talk about this overcoming stuff. We'll be clothed in white. What is white? His righteousness. How do you receive righteousness? By your works? No, we receive righteousness from Christ. It's Christ's righteousness that we... So how are we overcomers? In Christ. And he will never, he will not erase your name out of the book of life. Religion likes to flip it around and say, you got to be careful. Or if you don't overcome, if you don't endure to the end, endure in what? Being a greeter at church, tithing? I mean, what, what do you have to endure in? In Christ. Isn't this good news? This is great news. This is the best news in the world. I know these promises aren't widely proclaimed, but they should be. God's promises which are embodied in Jesus are meant to be a sure foundation for in your times of trouble, for your times of trouble. Am I saying that we don't need to respond to Jesus? No, you definitely need to respond. But the response God is looking for is like, Childlike faith. Not a lifetime of flawless Christianity, which none of you pass anyways. Either do I. Faith is rest. Faith is saying, I distrust myself. I trust Jesus. He has done it all. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. If you, if you read the book of um, 1 2 Corinthians, it's all about identity. It's Paul proclaiming to these very carnal Christians who they really are. That they're ambassadors of Christ. This is where it talks about the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, will I, will, will I take Christ and join, jo- join the body of Christ to a harlot? 
and I've said this before, but we need to say it again. Should I join the body of Christ unto a harlot? Because there was temple worship, pagan practices, temple prostitutes, all of these things. The answer is what? No, you shouldn't do that. But they were. Do you realize that? He was saying that you are so connected, baptized, in union with Christ, that when you do these practices, you are taking Christ with you. Christ didn't leave or forsake them in the midst of their fornication. He was right there. Jesus never fornicated. But since he got married to us, he's fornicated a lot. Because he's with you. He will never leave you. That's what Paul was saying. He said, should, should I take Christ, the body of Christ and have relations with a prostitute? No. But that, the reason why he said that is because that's what they were doing. They didn't leave Christ at home and then go out and do their thing. He's saying your identity is in Christ. Believe it. Believe who you are. And if you are trying to del deliver on promises you made to God, you will be anxious and fruitless. How many of us done this? God, if you do this, I'll start going to church. If you do this, I'll start reading my Bible. I'll pray more, God, if you do this. How many, many of you guys were faithful to your promises? Promises like this leave us in bed with looking at the ceiling wondering, have I done enough? They, call, they cause us to doubt and they make us feel unqualified. The cure for your insecurity is Jesus. He is the resounding yes to all of God's promises. The promises of God ought to be an anchor for your soul. But when you don't know God as your Father, or you haven't seen the finished work of the cross, unbelief can be hard to shake. In the minds of the anxious, these promises can actually become threats. Consider this promise from Jesus. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Some Christians read this, and they worry that Jesus will do the very thing he promised not to do. They fear he will blot out their names from the Lamb's book of life, and why would he do that? Because we mess up and make mistakes. If I don't overcome in the trials of life, I'm going to be blotted out. I'll be disqualified from the kingdom. Why do they read this scripture this way? Because they have an old covenant mindset. I'm safe as long as I don't sin. If I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get beat. And that leads to just a bunch of Christian doo-doo. Exodus 32.3, it says, The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Under the old covenant, your performance mattered a great deal. Thank God we're not under the old covenant. You were safe if you were good, but lost if you weren't. 
But even in the, all of this, God's mercy and grace shines through. He gives them sacrifices. Naturally, this made people anxious and insecure. What if I stumble? What if I fall? God will blot me out of his book. We don't live under the old sin-conscious covenant. We live under the new and better covenant of God's grace. Under grace, your performance affects your standing not one bit. How many good deeds, how many sins did you not have to do to get saved? How much, what did you do to get saved? How long did you have to be good to get saved? Nothing. So if you don't have to do anything to get saved, but after you get saved, now all of a sudden, God puts all the weight back on you, and you have to do good things to stay saved. So it sounds like really God isn't the God of my salvation. I, I, I am, because it's dependent on me. And that's not good news <laughs> at all. But isn't this promise with conditions, doesn't this only apply to those who overcome? In the new covenant, Jesus fulfills all the conditions. Right? Jesus said, literally said, he says, In this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have what? Overcome the world. So in him we are overcomers. We can have good cheer when we read that scripture in Revelations because we're overcomers because we are in Christ Jesus. And because we are in Christ Jesus, we have received his righteousness and have been clothed with the garment of his righteousness. And we are in the Lamb's Book of Life forever. In the new covenant, Jesus fills all the conditions on your behalf. In him you have already overcome the world there is no overcoming outside of Jesus. It can't be that simple. If Jesus is offering a carrot, there must be a stick. If he's, if, if we, if he's saying we can come in, there must be an opportunity to go out. Now there's a thought. That Jesus is in heaven, sitting next to the Father, and you declare your unwavering commitment to him. What are, and he writes your name in the man's book of life. Then you curse out your wife. And he gets a little white out. And then you, what? Rededicate your life. Oh, and then he writes it back in. Man, he's going to have carpal tunnel. You write it in, write it out, write it in, write it out. And what happens if you just happen to get in a car wreck before you have a time, a chance to recommit your life to God? And how many sins do you, can you get away with before you recommit? I mean, religion is stupid. God knows you better than you know yourself. God is all-knowing. Do you know that? God is all-knowing. He knows the, end, the, the, the beginning or the end from the beginning. God knows you better than he knows yourself. When, you, when he added your name to the book, he knew everything you had done and everything you would do. 
There's nothing that would cause him to shake his head in disappointment because he already knew it. And this is a whole different teaching, but there's a big difference between God being all-knowing and God manipulating and controlling all things. He looks at you with disappointment and he says, oh man, I made a mistake adopting this one. God doesn't make mistakes. When he added you to his book, it was for eternity. In the new covenant, there is only one thing that God promises to blot out, and it's not your name. Do you want to know what the one thing that God promises to blot out? Someone's been reading their Bible. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Amen. Amen. God promised to blot out all your sins, and he did that already. If your sins have been blotted out, then your name cannot be, and that's very good news. Now look at this. Philippians 4.19, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. How many of your needs will God meet? All of them. How many of your needs must you supply to stay qualified for the kingdom? None. None of them. God meets all your needs. I said this last week. If you want to be a Christian, you cannot be self-dependent. You have to be totally 100% dependent on Jesus. Amen. You know, some people say that, you know, God's a, a crutch. God's a, you know, for weak people. Yeah, that's me. He's not only a crutch, he's, he's, he's a, a, an amigo. He's, he's everything to me. How many of your needs must you supply to say qualified? None of them. Our part is to receive by faith what God has already provided in Christ Jesus. Our part is to say, thank you, Jesus. And then abide in that place of grateful trust. Anything and everything that needs to be done to see you safe to the end will be done by him. Trust him. The one who began a good work in you will carry it to completion, Philippians 1.6. Salvation is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. And these gifts are irrevocable, according to Romans 11.29. Through the death and resurrection of the Son, God shouts to the human race, I am for you and I will do whatever it takes to win you back to myself. And I believe him. I put no confidence in my promises to him, but I choose to stand on his promises to us. And I encourage you to do the same. Saints, you are one with the Lord. His future is your future. Since Jesus isn't going to lose his salvation and go to hell, it's not going to happen to you. See, we, we have no understanding our union with Christ. 
We, we have no understanding of what took place on the cross, what happened in his death, burial, and resurrection, what that means, what baptized. We turn b- baptism into a work that you have to be baptized to be saved. It's not talking about being dipped in water. It's talking about being submerged into Christ. It's, it's actually that Greek word of dipping a garment into dye. And you put that garment into dye. You put it into purple dye and this white garment comes out and it's purple. You have been baptized into Christ. And when you come out, you, have, you are Christ. You are one with him. God has for all eternity connected you in union with humanity. When Jesus became a man... He became a man for eternity. We don't realize what that means. Do you know who's sitting at the right hand of God? A resurrected man named Jesus. He was 100% man and he was 100% God. And God says, you are his children. Throughout the Gospels, it talks about Jesus being the only begotten son of God. And then after the cross, it starts talking about the first begotten Son of God. Somewhere along that line, you were begotten. And God's seen it all along. You may fall asleep on the job, but the one who watches over you never slumbers. Be confident, be secure, and be at peace. Rest Trust in the Father's love, in the work, finished work of Jesus Christ. And so many people worry about, this is, we talked about this last week, is, is grace a license to sin? Is the gospel, you know, grace is Jesus. The gospel, it's the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of him. And this isn't about having a license to sin. This isn't about living. Why would you want to live the way that you used to? It leads to death. It leads to destruction. But you can rest right now that no matter where your path has taken you, no matter what choices you've made that has led to death and destruction and chaos in your life, you can be assured that even though you thought that God had left you because you left him, he has never left you, he has never forsaken you, and your life isn't over. you got breath in your lungs, and he still has a plan for you. And his plan has never wavered, it has never changed. And we can choose today to be secure in our Father's love. We can choose today to be secure in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and we can choose this day to walk out the rest of our life in God's perfect plan. And if you fumble, if you make a mistake, you can know that you're eternally secure and you can get up and go on. Amen? Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved highly favored and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.